Good morning. A couple of quick announcements. As I mentioned at the end of church, uh, Theology on Tap is this Thursday. We're continuing with, I believe, chapter, chapter one or chapter two of our book. Chapter two, you can see the link in a week at a glance. There's still a few extra books to be picked up, picked up in the church office if you'd like. Uh, Oktoberfest is coming up September 30th. Um, we need volunteers for uh, just helping, helping with that. Not too many. I mean, we're, we tried to find the balance and the strategy. So the overall strategy with Oktoberfest is we want people to just sit around and enjoy each other's company and get to know one another. But yet we have to provide a service of food and fun, especially keeping the kids entertained and actually getting the food prepared. And it does take a certain amount of preparation and organization. So if everybody could kind of chip in in some, some way, it's kind of minimal ways to volunteer to help the whole kind of collective. It's like when you go home for Thanksgiving, your mom asks you to, can you like stir the whatever so it doesn't boil and the, that kind of thing. Um, you can volunteer in various ways through the Sign Up Genius. And also, all the big food, like the, the brats and most of the food, big food items are being uh, provided by the church budgeted stuff. But we're looking for like some desserts and a couple of side. You can sign up for that. And you want to sign up because otherwise everybody will bring sauerkraut. And there's only so much sauerkraut one needs. So we want to make sure to delegate this and we all have a fun German, the full German experience. Uh, the picture directory is uh, the signups. You saw um, Sue and Beth taking signups in the Narthex. Please sign up for that. Uh, it's helpful just for everyone to kind of know each other's names um, at the very least. And I think this new company has even an online version. We'll be able to see each other access it online, I believe. So with, through, with the password and, and such. So if you haven't signed up for a, a time to get your picture taken, it's like, I told the guy. I was very clear about this because I've done, I've been around, I'm not that old, but I have been in church long enough to know that when a church directory comes to you and says, hey, we want to do a directory for your church. What they're telling me is, hey, I'm going to annoy your people and harass them into buying stuff because they got this free picture. I'm like, I don't want you annoying my people. So if you're going to come here, take their picture and you can say, hey, look, because sometimes some people want like a family picture and this is a professional way to get it done. So we wanted to, that's certainly available, but I told them easy, like downshift the hard sell, you know, man, so that otherwise people aren't gonna wanna get their picture taken. Um, there's a bunch, if you saw it when you came in, where am I? There's a bunch of wood piled up over there. Like they're clearing out this hole where, where the um, fire pit is and the outdoor chapel. Um, a few of the guys are cutting down all those trees and branches, so if you want some, this says, take home some cherry and mulberry for your fireplace. Whatever, there's, there's firewood there. If you don't take it, we're gonna, I don't know what you do with it. Throw it in the river. Does the city frown on that? I don't know. Uh, last, there's a ladies social event coming up on October 8th. So a Sunday at 5 p.m. Um, so the idea is, so there's a lady who's gonna come in who, who has like three different designs and you're gonna be able to paint like these stencil like wood designs. So you have to, you pre-pick your design so she knows how many like stencils to prep by uh, Friday, September 22nd. And then they're gonna have like tables out and you'll be able to paint and, it's, and the, the elders approve like wine. So there's gonna be wine and food. It's another, another just casual fellowship opportunity to get to know more people at, at church and have a nice little wooden painted thing 
that I'm sure will be on my fireplace for years to come. That's all my announcements. Now we get to jump into Luke. I'm sure you're wondering, man, is pastor going to keep talking about Luke forever? Yes. Uh, what I'd like to do is get into Luke. So the thing is, the entire chapter, the, the book of Luke has been building toward, obviously, the cross. So we have to finish. Because <laughs> uh, every, everything that Jesus has set up to this point has in mind, like, the, uh, like, we know that the cross is coming. We know that the resurrection is coming. So everything makes sense in context. So um, what we're about to hit, like, so Luke 21 is right on the outskirts. So we, we're in, we've already entered the, uh, we're, we've entered Holy Week. Uh, probably the Luke 20 or 19 is the triumphal entry where Jesus comes into Jerusalem, which kicks off Holy Week, even in our experience on Palm Sunday. So we have a Palm, that, that one week. So that's, that's kind of where we are. Um, I think Luke 22, we get the, we get the, the, the Pharisees starting to want to pay off Judas to betray Jesus, and we start getting into Good Friday, crucifixion, resurrection, and then Luke gives us some fun post-resurrection accounts. So not, I mean, Matthew doesn't, or especially Mark doesn't give it as much, but um, Luke's got some pretty cool snippets after the resurrection for us to enjoy. So for today, Luke 21, if, you'll, if, you, if you didn't grab a Bible on the way in, if you have a Bible in front of you and the person next to you doesn't have one, if you look at them and give them a condescending, like, condescending look. That's always good. <laughs> no, I mean, you, as you know, we'll, 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 um, what you're going to always have, I'll give you a handout to, and, we'll, and I'll try to summarize the stuff. But if you have a Bible in front of you or on your phone or something, it's handy. To, to, to grab the context, we want to flip back and, and you can... I appreciate the subject head, generally speaking, I appreciate the subject headings that the ESV has put in on all these chunks because it does help you, it reminds you, okay, Luke 19, Jesus and Zacchaeus, the tri triumphal entry, Jesus, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Jesus cleansing the temple, and now we're into chapter 20. His authority is challenged. We get the parable of the wicked tenants. And by the way, Jesus has been really he's been upping the tension on going after the scribes and the Pharisees. And that's, that's key because of what's about to happen. But the Pharisees, and not just a group of guys, but, all, but the theology that, that is represented there of, of law instead of Jesus, not just pointing the finger at other people, but ultimately it would include the Pharisee in each of us. So, like, as he says, things like, beware of the scribes and, and the Pharisees, because they're like whitewashed tombs. They look good on the outside, but they're terrible on the inside. And what that's reminding us, too, is that, hey, you know, just because my, I can try to make my life look okay on the outside, but my heart is still, the, the, my heart's the problem, right? So he's convicting us with his law. Uh, and that's chapter uh, 20. We get his, his, the Sadducees approach Jesus, asking about the resurrection, Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection, so they're kind of like, they're just picking a fight with them on purpose. And Jesus masterfully handles that. And then we get this last snippet at the end of chapter 20. It's helpful because he's going to, it, it, it clicks right in stride. Chapter 20, verse 45. And in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, so everybody hear, heard him talking, but he talked to his disciples, beware of the scribes who happened to be standing nearby, by the way, watching him say this. Beware of the scribes 
who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses. So that where the church has been called to protect the widow and the orphan and to care for them, they're taking advantage of the widows. Which, if you, if you scroll your eyes down, what's happening right off the bat in chapter 21? The widow's might. So the timing is, is intentional by Jesus, but we'd miss it if we just jumped into 21 right away. So he says, they devour widows' houses and for a pretense, for the, for the outward show, they make long prayers, they will receive the greater con- condemnation. Then, Gerald chapter 21, Jesus looked up. So it wasn't like days later. No, this is the immediate context. Jesus looks up. He saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. So as you look, you can read, all the commentaries are very helpful in all these details because it's so foreign to our experience. The, there was like 13, I think was the number, like trumpets that looked like or, or trumpet horn barrels. What's the end of a trumpet called? The barrel, horn, whatever. It looked like that, Take a, point a trumpet up and that's where people would throw in their money. I'm thinking like, you know, it's at some like parks, they have those gigantic things that kids can put a penny and it spins around the outside for a while. That's, it's like that. <laughs> but I don't think they were trying to get kids to put quarters in. But um, and there are 13 of them. At, at some churches, by the way, it's just totally unrelated. Some churches in the Christian context have gone to this um, post-COVID because offering, like in our experience, offering plates, we stopped passing the plates. And it's... Interesting, everyone's got their own opinion on that. But um, in our, just practically, in our congregation, in our um, sanctuary design, if some of those pews are really long. And if you think back to when we had passed the plates, like some cases, one person would be sitting on this end, and it's like almost in a different time zone where the other person is. And, and like, you're having to get up and walk over there. And sure enough, like the person's not paying attention and then you're having to wait. So meanwhile, the service, the service timer is clicking away. And we're trying to, I try to keep mindful of your, your time is very important and very valuable. And so if we can kind of on our end say, we're shooting for an hour, we're trying our best to keep services to an hour. We're gonna cram as much in there as possible. And then we'll get you to really consider sticking around for some coffee and some pastries and then maybe Bible study too. So you know, you, you kind of know what you're getting into versus if, if you're just sitting there in a service and you're like, well, the pastor could go on for 45 minutes today. Let's see what, if pastor ate his Wheaties for breakfast and it's gonna be a 45 minute sermon and then the hymns are long and then you're looking at a two hour service, you start checking your watch and then you start thinking next week, maybe let's not go to church. That's what I'm trying to avoid. That, I want people wanting more and not less. It's kind of the goal. So we cut the offering, the timing of the offering, in, in case you're wondering part of the rationale there, the offering plates are in the back and they're just sitting there to entice people to break the seventh commandment. <laughs> uh, no, so some churches have, have actually, because of COVID times, they've, they've actually got these nice big wooden boxes that are bolted to the wall and people can throw their offering in uh, to avoid theft. But frankly, in our, in our context, we get somebody, any, anybody in here a counter? Like in any given week, we get like $200 in cash. 
between two services. So there's not that much, there's not that much cash that's sitting out. Most everybody is, most everybody is online, uh, online giving. Um, so most of our, it's not like there's like thousands of dollars sitting there waiting to get stolen. We just don't, we're not in that context anymore. Unrelated to the text, but it did say offering box, so I had to jump off that springboard. Uh, putting their gifts in the offering box, and Jesus then saw a poor widow. Remember the, the, the scribes who, who devour widows' houses? He saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. Sometimes that's translated um, mites. So the widow's mites. And that's where we get our, um, it, it, I think, Mark talks about it like two pennies. So it's very, very small. You can see some of the currency, like picture, you can Google it and see pictures. It's, it almost looks like a button. It's such a small currency. It hardly has any value at all. And we're, I think we're, we could say we're, we're almost at that point now with, with our regard to pennies. Like pennies just don't. I mean, some of you might remember back in the day when five cents you could get a whatever. Now it's like five cents obviously can't get you anything. One cent... It's not even worth, it's not worth the effort to pick it up off the floor. It's just, it's just the, because of the value of money. That, you get that sense with how little this is, these coins are, are worth. Um, just in general, in the, in the scale of the, of the whole economy. But it was significant for this particular lady because um, she has nothing to give. Now we're going to unfold that a bit more, but just a, a word on to the LWML. If you ever wondered why we, like this weird thing, the LWML mites, what is that? Like, unfortunately, it's uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the phrase is, it's insider baseball terminology. So if you have nothing, if you don't know anything about baseball and you got two guys over here talking about in, infield fly rules, you're looking on like, I have no, no idea what the guy's talking about. So Lutherans and all church bodies are probably guilty of this. We have our insider knowledge and the kind of language we throw around. So like on a given Sunday, we'll say, hey, it's LWML Sunday, so drop your mites in the narthex. And if you're a visitor here, you're like, it, it is what? And we do what with what? What is a mite? Isn't that like a lice, like a small flea or something? <laughs> so to just demystify that whole thing, it's come, the, the, our, the LWML, the Lutheran Women's Missionary League, historic practice going way back, and Enoch could probably, or some of you in the LWML could probably fill this in, uh, historically more accurate, but somewhere around the early 20th century, maybe World War II era, um, when you get like a husband who comes home from work, and he puts his change like on the nightstand, and there's these pennies and dimes and nickels kind of accumulate. I can still remember like my dad's nightstand always had like, you could open the drawer and there was like pennies and nickels in there. So the idea is every week you kind of collect those pennies and nickels that aren't worth much on their own. But when you, we, we put all of them together over the course of time and then if all of us put all of our mites together over time, we actually have a few bucks and we could do something nice. Other than letting this, the pennies just sit in the sock drawer, we could maybe give some money to somebody in need. And that's the, that's the effort there behind the women's mites and the LWML. So, but now no one uses cash. So they're like, uh, instead of just doing away with the mite boxes, now they're like trying to find other ways because ultimately they are trying to support these mission efforts, which are all good. So if you ever wonder what, what that's about, that's the history there. Um, so the two mites, two small copper mites, two small coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them 
For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. So first, her being a poor widow. It's almost redundant, but why is, why is it that she's a poor widow? Why are widows poor? It's kind of common sense, right? So that she's not, there's no one there to provide for her. And we see the same thing when, the, when Jesus raised the boy, when he famously touched the beer, not the beer that you're thinking about, but the, the coffin and the boy raises from the dead. It was significant because that lady had lost her son and she was a widow. And so she was in total poverty. And the, this, the concept, when you read widow, think completely dependent on others. That's the, that's the theme here. So not only is she a widow, but I mean, just to kind of, to overemphasize her poorness, this poor widow who is who's completely on her own, has nothing, has no way to provide for herself. If, if I'm a Pharisee looking on, and I see this widow, and I, everyone kind of knows she's a widow perhaps, think, I mean, Everyone kind of knows everybody in that town, in, in this town, in Jerusalem. But you recognize faces. So they maybe know this lady. and She's probably wearing black if she's still in mourning. Why, if I'm a Pharisee and a scribe, and she is a widow, think through the theology of glory that the, uh, with which the Pharisees think. If a person is experiencing temporal hardship, it is a consequence of what? Their sin, and it's direct, not just being in a sinful world, which is obviously the case with this widow, but it's if she's experiencing some sort of suffering, she must have done something to justify this from God. So when you see some, and and this is actually a common um, teaching within Hinduism, the whole concept of karma. So in Hinduism, the, like in India, their, their poverty, their impoverished po- population is extremely high and they don't have a lot of generosity there, just in the general population. Why? Because if my, if my operational theology is reincarnation and when I'm reincarnated, I am I'm punished in the reincarnation for bad behavior in the previous life, then if I'm reincarnated into poverty, then I'm being punished for being Hitler last time around. So for me to step in and help that person is actually like getting in the way of karma doing its thing in the universe. So they kind of let people suffer. And that's India and why there's so much poverty within India because of this, this thought of you're being punished for what you did. And the scribes don't believe in reincarnation, but the same idea is there with regard to God allowing these punishments to come to the widow because of something in her. So when you see temporal suffering, you think shame and sin and weakness, all of this kind of like don't want to be associated with. And Jesus, in this classic way, takes what is lowest and flips it, right? This poor widow has put in more than all the rest Put together, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. And the word there for all that she had to live on, beyond, it's she put in her life, her livelihood. So you can you think she put in her everything. All that she had is there. Now, uh, 
Well, maybe look at our handout. So you got the Pharisees there making it rain. <laughs> when you have an opportunity to use a meme that says make it rain, you need to use it on the handout. So there you go. But then the picture beneath it, you've got the widow there kind of sneaking in behind everybody else, um, trying, to, trying to put the money in the offering box in almost in shame and in hiding. Number two, why is the gift of the widow regarded so great by Jesus? And what does it mean, question three, what does it mean to give out of her poverty? Uh, so I think this is helpful. I mean, there's a, there's a, um, there's a face reading of this that certainly has us thinking in, in proportional giving. So those guys, they made a lot of money and they gave a lot of money proportionally, but there's still like, they, they might've given 1%, but 1% of a, a billion dollars is a lot, right? Anybody know what 1% of a billion dollars is? Is it 10,000? I have no idea. It's a lot, take my word for it. <laughs> Uh, but, so, but, so the, but the widow is not giving 1%, she's giving all. So is it just that even though proportionally they'd give it, they seem to have given more, this widow has given everything, um, regardless of what her total amount was, is that why she's commended? Uh, I would argue no, because what we're about, what Jesus is not interested in doing here is setting up a, a stewardship program. Uh, those of you who are, You've been in the, in the Lutheran church long enough, or really this is common to all churches. Like, I, I don't know if this is as much the case anymore. Now the, the big problem that we face in the church is like apathy among people. Um, and now just people rejecting the gospel all out. But maybe 10 years ago and prior, there was always this, this looming accusation that all the church ever talks about is money. And I think we've just been beating that cliche long enough that I don't know if the church still talks about money as much anymore. But frankly, I don't know because I'm not listening to other people's churches anymore. I got my own stuff. And I don't think we talk too much about it here. It hardly ever comes up, I hope, is, is the goal. Um, but, so, but when it came up, my, uh, one of my mentor pastors, Pastor Graf in Albuquerque, he would, his like, stewardship board would always ask, hey, we need to have Stewardship Sunday. And they're thinking when we kind of come with the law and getting, getting people to give more. Um, and he would always make sure it fell on the week of the widow's might <laughs> to kind of make people thinking about giving in this context and how Jesus isn't asking us to be giving all that we have into the offering plate. It's not about that at all, but it's about considering what it is to have poverty before God. Does God, um, does does God allow people to be wealthy in the scriptures? People that he is friends with, like Abraham, Job, David, Solomon, go down the list. So, uh, so he com- he's giving the gift, and we would even recognize that God himself is the one who's giving the wealth or the poverty in contrast, right? So it's not that wealth is somehow bad. And if this was, a, if this was supposed to be um, um, prescriptive for a stewardship program, then it would be a really good year, <laughs> one year, but then what? Everybody would be in total poverty. So is that what he's after? Everybody to put everything in the offering plate so that there can be total poverty next year. And so that, by the way, you're, you're, you need to put everything in the offering plate in lieu of feeding your children. 
But that way, when your kids come to you and they're crying for, out of hunger, you can say, don't worry, I chose the better thing by putting my money in the offering plate. They're there, little chummy, you know. That's, is that what Jesus is trying to get at here? So to be in poverty before God is to recognize, just to oversimplify it here, is to recognize that everything that you have does not belong to you. You own nothing of yourself but what God has given to you. Some, have, some are stewards of more and some are stewards of less, less perhaps, but, and, and God in his wisdom gives, what, gives us what each of us has. But the person who recognizes that these gifts all belong to God can actually stand before God with full pockets and still confess a poverty in recognition that they ultimately have nothing that belongs uniquely to them, but it's been given to them for a purpose, to serve others. And that's the Christian life of stewardship, how we're to understand all that we have. And that would include not just putting money in the offering plate, but so if you've got like four or five kids, one kid, whatever, you got a child, does the child need to eat? Who gave you the child? God gives children. Otherwise, why do we give thanks for them? Or why do we pray for them? Pray for God to open wombs and give us children, right? So God gives the gift of children. And doesn't he, who does he put in place to feed the children? Costco. <laughs> I mean, the parents, then Costco. But it's ultimately God. Is this, is this distracting for anyone else? Speaking of children. Uh, <laughs> but so God puts the parents to feed the children and to put a roof over their head and to put gas in the car so you can go to work so that as a Christian is able to see their entire life as God working through them to take care of their family. And that way, everything, if I walk over here, then you'll look at me and not her. <laughs> everything, so... Uh, I, I know I've, I've done this before, but it's always helpful to, re, to refresh. If you've got money, let's, let's take $1,000, and oftentimes the general, maybe the cliche thinking regarding congregational giving is like, there's money that I put in the offering plate, and that's somehow holier giving. That's how, like, that, my, that use of money is somehow higher up in God's eyes. But then the money that I spend in these other things like buying shoes for my children and buying flowers for my wife and whatever the things that I'm deciding, even the joyful things. Like I want to, I'd like to buy a nicer bottle of wine at the restaurant because we're celebrating or whatever the thing might be, right? That, that those are bad because they're, at least they're not as good as the church stuff. And that is an unhelpful way of thinking because God, is, is, is it not the, is it, isn't it true that God has given you the wife or not? And he wants you to adorn her with fine jewelry and flowers and show your love in those ways. And he, he wants you to put shoes on your children's feet and a roof over the head, right? Not so that he's not setting up for us this contrast, but it's rather this, yeah, so we have a, in the New Testament church especially, it's even clearer than, than in the Jewish context where Paul's still working as a tent maker when he's, when he's being a pastor, 
So to try to take the principles of giving from the Old Testament, where you have an entire tribe of people who is forbidden to have land. Remember the guys working in the temple? They couldn't like make a living for themselves because they're having to spend all their time doing sacrifices on your behalf. And the way that they would get their living is when you would bring the sacrifices, a lot of those sacrifices they would eat, right? And, and, and also the general giving that would come in to kind of like pay for the whole operation. So when everything's clicking in the right order, then it's all working together. In the New Testament church, it's much more free. So with total freedom, the church in America is in this luxurious position where we're able to say, we actually can, we, we're in a position where we can have a, a building in which to worship. That means we have to pay for the building. We have to pay for the ongoing costs of heat. You don't have to have heat, but otherwise the baptismal font would freeze over and have like ice skating. You thought it was dangerous before, baby. Put ice. <laughs> so it takes an overhead. But we do this all freely and willingly with what, we ha- what, with what God has given us. And it's proportional, obviously, what we have. So we're looking at what we're looking at in our lives. We're, we're, we're paying, making sure the kids are taken care of, making sure our family's taken care of. We're making sure our church is taken care of, all from the perspective of what God has given us. But that's not putting anything in a higher up ranking before God. It's saying God has given me my family, God has put me in my community, and God's given me my church. And he's given me the stuff that I have that doesn't belong to me because I'm in poverty before him. So I'm doling these things out as God has given to me. That I think is a helpful way of looking at Christian stewardship. And that has us more like the widow who's, who's giving her beyond, that's a Greek word, her life, her living, everything, everything belongs to God. But what you give to God is certainly not limited to what you put in the offering plate. When you put shoes on your kids, you're giving money to God. See? God is putting shoes on your kids. He's using you to do it. When you're putting food, when you go to Costco and you buy the food for your kids, you're giving money to God. Obviously, it doesn't really make sense in the same way because you know, it doesn't work out the same way, but the money ultimately is going to help someone else eat. God has given you this money. You're buying the food to, buy, to help the kids eat. So it has us thinking about money a totally different way than this like, I'm paying for a higher status before God, but rather everything that I have, God has given me to use for the good of my neighbor. And to be sure, sin enters in, but that doesn't mean we don't have the right order of things. Sin enters in with our selfishness and our addictions and so forth. And there we can, we can rightly identify our sin. And you can say, yeah, I know it seems like an okay idea for you to, to go to Europe, um, but to go to Europe constantly in lieu of feeding your kids. So your kids are like all bony wasting away. And why? Because you've got your extravagant living. I mean, that's a crazy, terrible example. But obviously you can see there this, God isn't giving you these things for you to not take care of your kids. Everything's happening at the same time. So I'm not telling you not to take care of the church because I'm, I'm actually incentivized to tell you to give more to church. <laughs> but that, but that, therein actually lies the interesting thing about about talking about money in the church. Did you know that my income comes from you? (laughs) So so I think there's actually more wisdom in saying to to, to just separate the way that we think about these things. We we, we approach the third pastor like this, and now we've got a third pastor. We, We don't need a third pastor. We've got a lot of ministries happening at Bethany. 
We've got a lot of people, a lot of moving parts happening simultaneously. And frankly, especially it's seen on Sunday morning. At this moment, I cannot be in the confirmation room and with the senior high youth. Well, guess what? Most churches say, well, too bad. We just make do with what we got. But hey, you know what? We're running a pretty good surplus. And we do have these other big groups that we could be pastoring. Why don't we pitch in and get another shepherd? And so we no longer have the resources to do that. But right now we do. So we can think more freely about it. So it's not, put, it's not coming to us as a, as a law or some kind of like um, ungenerous thing. But rather God has given us what we have. He's put us in the situation that we're in. And then we can freely make these decisions knowing that either way we go, it's God's money. We're doing the best we can with what, we, with what he's given us. Any questions on that? That's generally before, I mean, that's not really might, directly might related, but it is about congregational giving. It always comes up, so it's worth thinking through. Like, why, why would a church, is Mark in here? No. <laughs> right, so make sure the Board of Finance is represented when you're talking about money. So why, why would a church <laughs> annoyingly, you're coming to add, we don't, I don't know if we even do this, but I just, in my, in my youth, I remember like a church, like every, there's a Sunday, there's a pledge card and the church is asking you to put money in, like write down how much you're planning to give. Like the idea is simply, if you've ever served on a board, it's difficult to budget for a year if you have no idea what people are thinking about giving. So it's not trying to, it's not trying to focus on money for the sake of money. It's just, it's just practically saying, hey, um, we're trying to figure out if we can afford this or that next year. So if you're anticipating not taking care of the church in an equivalent way to this year, or if you're planning on giving more or less, kind of let us know so we can take that into account when we're making big decisions. Otherwise, we're not going to budget $10,000 for fellowship like we did this year, for example, so that we can do things like have an Oktoberfest and not charge you money to come to it. I'd rather you just come to Oktoberfest because you talking to each other is more important. So like we budget for these things, but that's a, obviously, that's a, a semi-frivolous type thing that we're not gonna do if we don't have the money there to do it. But we don't know if that's the case if we don't know what people are gonna be giving, you see? So it's, more, it's practical, it's not trying to, like we wanna figure out how much you're giving so that we can determine therefore how much or how little pastoral care you receive in the year, right? That's certainly not the case. In fact, Pam will tell you this, the pastors don't know what people give around here. We don't want to know because it, in our sinful flesh, it complicates things. It's easier just to, I don't want to know. I don't want to know what you give. I don't, so the, some pastors, and there's wisdom in this, some pastors actually do want to know so that when there's significant decrease, they can usually, whenever a person's suffering in some way in their family, the first place it's seen is in the offering plate. And so we're trying to step in and say, hey, if you guys need help, we're here to help you. What's going on? Or there's like the church has offended you in some way because some guy looked at you funny. And so you're just like, I'm done with the church. I'm not giving anymore. Well, that's, that maybe there's some reconciliation we need to work on there. So it's helpful to know. But I think like, I just tell Pam, we kind of have an understanding. Like if there's somebody I need to talk to, just tell me. But I don't want to know. And the other pastors function the same way. And that's not right or wrong. It's just our, our approach here. Just it's helpful that you know that that's how we function. And then that kind of sets you free then too. Because you know how the law works. It always has us looking at one another with animosity. So we judge others. So they're only getting this or that because they give more. Than, well, how do you know? Pastor doesn't know. No one knows except for like one person, right? 
All right. Uh, verse 3. I tell you, <laughs> they all contribute out of their abundance. Um, but she, out of her poverty, she gave her all. So a couple points here. Um, not a, it's not a lesson of Christian stewardship by way of setting up a program because that would be a program leading us to give, put everything in the offering plate and not take care of our family. So that's not the point. The point is all that we've been given belongs to God. And also, but think about from that, I think I might have a question on this. Yeah, what, verse number four. What is she putting into the hands of God? When she puts her two mites in the offering plate, what is this scene confessing about this lady? I am fully dependent on God. What's that? <laughs> That's right. All right. But she's fully at the, fully at the whim of God. And, and, and that's the case for all of us. Is that not, should, shouldn't that be the prayer of every Christian? Into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Because while you think right now your retirement's looking pretty decent, as we all know very quickly, things can change. And even if the retirement plan doesn't change and everything is always on the up and up, we also know from our personal experiences very quickly, your terminal cancer diagnosis makes your retirement plan look irrelevant to you. So the things that we get so focused on, it's like well, everything in me, my life, all that has been given to me, I am fully entrusting over to God. For the, for the widow, it's, it's easy to kind of see, and Jesus is using this as a teaching moment to kind of picture this and how it's fully, she show, in her poverty, she's showing herself to be, to be fully um, handing her life over to the Lord to take care of her, which then also allows her to say, as we all should and do say, is thy will be done when, when good or evil seems to happen in our, in our lives. And that was our second communion hymn today. What God ordains is always good. If you want something to chew on during communion today or something, during the sermon, <laughs> read, look at that hymn. What God ordains is always good. And you're like, er, always good? Everything isn't good. I mean, there's some bad stuff out there. But what, what God ordains is always good. And so I know that even when bad things seem to be happening, God, my loving Savior, has allowed this for whatever reason. He's promised to work it toward my good. It has me thinking about my life fully handing it over to the Lord. Um, but Jesus is not saying, he's saying other than give all that you have until you have nothing. He's not saying, that's not the point. He, but rather she's confessing that she is not alone. She's fully dependent on the Lord and that someone takes care of her and that she has a future. Oh, that's a good thing too. So think if you're like at the end, if you feel like, okay, uh, well, this is maybe a helpful way to think. If, you know that movie, The Bucket List? Who's the guy? Jack Nicholson? Or is he the golfer? I always get those guys confused. Jack Nicholson from The Shining. Jack Nicholas is the golfer. So the Jack Nicholson and uh, the guy from Shawshank Redemption, Morgan Freeman. They were in the bucket list. I mean, I mean they see nothing. I mean, heads. Talk to me with your heads, people. Okay. <laughs> So in the bucket list, I mean, the concept is the guy's dying and he has all this money to spend. It becomes pretty easy to get rid of all your stuff when you know you're not going to need it, right? 
So you have like songs like, uh, is it Faith Hill's husband, Tim McGraw? Uh, live like you're dying. So that's a nice way to live. Live every day as though you're dying tomorrow so you're not as attached to your stuff. That's not a bad idea. But I think for the widow, the, the picture is this. When she puts in her, her mites, it's almost like from our perspective, what is she going to do? What's she going to, is she going to, she can't go to McDonald's. She can't, she can't even go to McDonald's. Yet, she's confessing her dependency on God and she's confessing a future. Now, we don't know what that future is, but she is confessing, I know that in the future that I cannot see or predict, I know that the Lord is going to take care of me. So it's not a despairing, well, I can't use it anyway because I've got terminal cancer. I'll give my money into the offering box. But rather it is, this is all I have. I'm handing it over to the Lord and I know that he's going to take care of me tomorrow. So this concept of thinking about our future being in the hands of God is a helpful way to, to live. And that way we live in poverty like this widow, handing over all that we have to the Lord. Um, and he, in his wisdom, takes care of us whether we have or we have not. Uh, let's pause there and take some, take some questions. Keith. So is like the tithing thing out the window? Is the tithing <laughs> thing out the window? Like because all these, you know. Because maybe right now you're having this personal moment. You're like, well, we've always been trying to tithe in my family and now we don't know what we should do. Maybe we should be giving zero dollars. And Mark's up there saying, Pastor, shut up. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fine. So, so I, I, don't want to, I, I don't want to dwell on this, but I mean, it's practical. Here's Pastor Klimmer's first time back in the batter's box, and we're talking about money right off the bat. So don't worry. In the coming weeks, we'll be talking about the return of Christ, so it only gets worse. <laughs> but for today, tithing, and it's, given to the, it's clearly given to the Old Testament, the Old Testament laws are clearly set up. And why, like I said before, you have an entire tribe that is not able to provide for themselves by God's ordinance. And so the other people, the rest of the tribes are taking care of that one tribe through the sacrifices and through their tithing. Every time Jesus talks about tithing in the New Testament, who is he talking about and how is he speaking? Beware of the Pharisees who tithe, mint, and deal, dill. It's the Pharisees who are big on the tithing, who are big on the numbers and counting and getting the measures just right. Jesus is going after all. Everything belongs to God instead of just limitation kind of a thing. Now, like as, a, as an operational principle for a, giving, a given household to say, all right, great, pastor. So you've told me everything that I have belongs to God. But then like, so how, is there a, how should I determine how to take care of the church? Like, what should I, what should I determine, how should I determine how much money to put in the offering plate then? What's the mechanism to use? And that is where we step into this, looking at the Bible's description, not a prescription in the Old Testament and how they, how they would typically tithe. A tenth, a tenth, right? So it could be a guy, but nowhere does Jesus come off that way. Peter, so the, the New Testament message is clear. God loves a cheerful giver. Yeah, that doesn't really, that doesn't always happen. Is it, how often are you cheerfully giving your money away? Right? So it's hard, it's hard to give our money away. But sometimes it's actually 
It's, it can be a joyful thing, especially like you're checking out at like Mariano's and the people have the balloons because you gave an extra five cents to like St. Jude's. Like, hey, you gave five cents to say, here's a balloon, right? God loves a cheerful giver. But you don't always, you're not always greeted with balloons for your giving. But this is, the, this is the concept of the Christian freedom is to say, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm pretty excited about this particular thing, whether it be your church or something happening in your, in your community or some nonprofit that you're, that you're pretty excited about or just helping your neighbor out. You know, I mean, that's, that de-organizationalizes de-organi- de-organi- it. That's a, that's a word. Uh, and you just, here's my neighbor in need. I'm gonna help him out, right? And that's actually joyful. That, that's where we like the, the, fearful, the, the cheerful giving aspect of life. But having some kind of a set formula, you're not gonna get it from Jesus in the New Testament. That's all I'm saying. And if you're looking for a number, it's 100%. So somewhere between 100% and like, obviously, so zero, it's like, oh, can I give zero? Sure. But don't call me when I'm on my second shift at Starbucks when you're in the hospital. And lower your expectations for sermon and Bible studies. And all the planning for the programs that we have at church, like all these, the thing is, these are all a luxury. Having a a full-time employed pastor or three, these are all luxuries. But that's where we say, okay, God's given me stuff for my life and I'm choosing that I kind of want to help out the church in these ways. But it's done, it's done in pure freedom. None of you have to do that. You can all give zero dollars to the church, but you know what that means. You know what it means we're not going to have this church. We're not going to have this. We might not even have pastors that are full-time at least. I'd go get a second job. I've already I've mentioned Starbucks. I think it's a sweet. You get free coffee, two bags of free coffee every week. I'll have to identify as something weird. I don't have much hair to dye pink, but I can pull it off. <laughs> Mandy's like, no, you won't. Please don't, please don't quit your job. Please don't stop giving. But you know, that's the, but his freedom though, that's the idea. As the Lord has set us free and has us thinking about our giving and total freedom and apart from any kind of numbering, it's the counting. The way of the law is the way of math. It tallies up, it counts, it keeps account. That's today's gospel reading. If you want to keep account, seven times, Lord? No, seven times 70. And that's not saying when you get up to 490. So when you get up to 489, that's when you, then that's when you cannot forgive your brother. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's obviously saying, you stop counting. Just forgive, right? Stop worrying and, and give. So, but we're all giving in proportion to what we actually have, but we do it freely and cheerfully. Is that helpful? It's more, it's more fun to live and give in freedom. Now, next week when the giving goes down and, and I get an email from Mark Wolfgram, I'm coming back and I'm going to emphasize the end times even more than you thought I could. So, no, I'm kidding. We got the right time. So, um, this actually works out perfect because I was hoping to only get through this first part. So, if you want to... <laughs> I don't want to make too much progress my first day back. Uh, so here's the deal. The next big chunk, there's a huge, so what, there's a long, the rest of Luke chapter 21 is the destruction of Jerusalem, which are violent. And there's some artwork. I even put a couple of pictures in here. Um, it's a, it is a historically terrible time. 
um, that Jesus is predicting. But as he's describing it and trying to encourage the, the, the disciples, you also have this, he starts to describe, it's like an overlapping with the end times, the return of Christ and what that's gonna be like. So it's, he's describing two separate things, but then they start to kind of overlap and that can be kind of confusing. So it's gonna be nice to sort these two things out and be clear about what Jesus is talking about happening when. Um, lots of confusion on end time stuff. I've had a couple requests of people asking me to talk about the book of Revelation, um, which we, maybe we can talk about doing that for the next seven or eight years after I finish Luke. But, uh, but for now, this will give you a picture of the, a picture of the end times and the, and the return of Christ in Luke 21. Hopefully we finish maybe all of that next week. And then we get into crucifixion and resurrection. Any final questions? Good. The Lord be with you.